Hi, and welcome back to The Front Lounge with Congos. This is episode 27. If you'd like to hear the ad-free version of this, just head over to our Patreon page, which is at patreon.com slash congos, and you can support uh, this podcast and hear the ad-free version. If you're already a Patreon subscriber, thanks very much, and we'll be answering some of your questions today uh, that you posted up on that September post. Hey everybody, how's it going? How you feeling? Uh, we are Congos. This is the Front Lounge. If you're new to this podcast, basically the band sits around uh, with our good friend here, Colton, and we discuss all kinds of things. A lot of it's music related or tour related or anything else that's going on in our life, but we also get into some deep thoughts and food and anything in between. Um, first, want to thank everybody for watching bus call uh, we've been looking at some of the feedback and the comments and it's very very encouraging bus call is a documentary series that we've been working on for a very long time and the feedback has been absolutely um outstanding so thank you guys for that but today's a special podcast we have a big announcement um dylan do you want to give the details? <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, we are going on tour, finally. Um, we took a lot of this year off to record music and um, do bus call, but we are finally going on tour in January 2019. The first show is January 9th in San Francisco, and the last show is February 17th, am I correct, Colton, in San Diego. Um if you're listening to this on... Take us six weeks to drive across one state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will just be driving from San Francisco down the coast for six weeks. Um, before the bus, we're going on foot. <laughs> yeah. No, it actually loops around the country. We're going up the West Coast, across Canada, down the East Coast, through the South. And um, yeah, so if you're listening to this on a Monday, the pre-sale tickets go on sale on a Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Um the code for that is headphones. Podcast listeners will are the only ones getting this code for the next two days. So go get your pre-sale tickets. Go get your VIP tickets. Uh, share it with your friends if you like. Um, on Thursday, we will be tweeting out that code. Uh, so naturally, there will be less tickets available on Thursday. And then on Friday uh, is the general on-sale. Tickets go um, out for everyone. And that will be that. Uh, what else can we say about the tour? Well, I'm beginning to think that our booking agents don't have weather.com installed oh. <laughs> as their homepage. It's gonna, uh, we're excited, obviously, to go on this tour. And I, winter tours are actually always good. The crowds are always good. People are excited, I think, just to get inside. And, you know, and obviously, not a ton of people tour during that. But I was looking at uh, Edmonton, like this year's January temperatures, and I was seeing like a high of negative four. Yeah, so. I wonder if in cities and states like that they have to, you know, fluctuate or the the capacity of the room has to fluctuate because of the size of the jackets people are wearing. So like Edmonton, you know, it they used to be a five hundred cap room. Now it's a four hundred and ninety cap room because of the size of the jackets. That's what I I the, when we went on tour in Germany in two thousand thirteen, I'd never been to venues that many venues in that kind of weather and you realize how efficient their coat check system is because our merch booth was very often by the coat check and so growing up in Phoenix and South Africa and now living in LA you never see coat check because you never have to use it but like when I think it was Vienna or something there's like must have been 500 jackets all tagged properly in this amazing like uh, 
clothes rack. It was crazy to see that system going that you've never had to deal with as a West Coaster. They yeah, make as be, much as the bars, I feel like, the yeah, coach. It would be chaos on the West Coast if that happened, if you got some freeze overnight where people had to take jackets to a concert. Um, well, why don't we talk about the tour and VIP more before we get into music only and we talk about bus call and everything. Um, this tour, the VIP packages, uh, you know, for the for the top tier is going to be these limited edition signed posters. And they are very limited edition in the sense that Johnny has been designing them himself. He wanted to take over this task, um, this very time-consuming task of designing posters. And every city, we're playing 27 shows, every single city will have a different poster, a different design. Um, Johnny? Yeah, I got an iPad, you know, with a pencil. and uh, iPad Pro. iPad Pro. Yeah, big one. <laughs> That's When I use it, it's definitely an iPad Pro. And uh, just started designing these posters. I think they look really cool. Um, see if everyone else does. But it's kind of something I've just been enjoying doing, you know, when I'm not when we're not working on music or watching TV or doing whatever else we do in our lives. I've been enjoying doing this and uh, try to kind of keep it in the 1929 theme, you know, that roaring 20s thing, some of the geometry and... That's art Deco is, feels. Yeah, yeah, very Art Deco well, inspired. Well, we're going to... We'll post one for anyone who's a, a Patreon or Patreon... Um, subscriber, if you go to our page on Patreon, you can see a, an example of one of the posters. Like I said, everyone's going to be different, but uh, this is one of them. And then for the rest of you guys, can wait until Friday when we when we post a picture of it. Um, but that's just one of the items in the VIP package. It'll be uh, posters. Obviously, we do the acoustic performance. There's a bunch of other little merch items, but the acoustic performances, if you've never been to a show, is we kind of cap it at a pretty limited amount of people um, so that it feels nice and intimate. We play acoustic songs, usually four or five or six songs. Um, and obviously this time we'll be playing some new ones with all the new material we've been working on. I think also we had talked about um, having some options, you know, that I don't know whether ahead of time or we could take some votes basically from the attending members, whether they want, you know, wh which songs they want to hear. Yeah. Um, because I, some of our fans have come to so many of these acoustic performances, you know, they come every time and I, it's genuinely a unique experience each time, but it'd be cool to kind of do some different songs so that everybody gets to, gets to see something different and hear something different. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping that we sell some of the top tier that have got these limited edition posters because I've always wanted to be a, an artist, an, artist, <laughs> like an actual artist that sold a painting. Yeah. You, you know, when people say like, I'm a published model, you can be, you can be a, uh, sold out artist yeah we've got one <laughs> hanging up in our front lounge here so now i'm a gallery it looks really exhibiting. good printed uh, <laughs> when you see it on a screen or you see it in the design process you know it's one thing and then when you see it printed big and in a frame it looks really cool you should print a 20 by 20 foot version of it <laughs> put it on a building um, um all right so yeah just one last time before moving on to music only uh tickets are on sale for uh Sorry, pre-sale tickets are available tomorrow. That's Tuesday. The head, the password is headphones. Uh, general on sale is Friday. So get your tickets before the rest of the masses. Is that all capitals? Uh, I believe it is. Uh, all but caps? Yeah. If not, try all lowercase. <laughs> yeah. I think I would imagine it's probably either. But I have a feeling it's either one, but yeah. Uppercase headphones. Give that a try first. Um, well, let's talk about bus call before we do music only. Yeah. The Episode three came out last week, so we'll do a quick Spoilers. recap of that. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. Close your ears if you don't want to hear this. We if were, you're listening uh, to this and you haven't watched episode three, you've got your, your priorities wrong because Bus Call 
we've put so much work into that. This we're just shooting the shit, and you're listening to us talk. But bus call is a real, a real work. So go watch that, and then come back and listen to this. Um, episode three was the final episode of the of the 2016 egomaniac um, headline run, and uh, it covers the sort of lost three two three weeks of that tour and everything that went down and some of the drama with the label and us getting prepared to go to Europe because the next episode takes place in Europe. Um, but that this episode, I don't know. We, we, I thought the scene with the crew was, you know, it was one of the best scenes. And it's funny talking about it because when we lived that, it was just living it. And then we watch, you watch it on film and it kind of has, it feels like a scene. And that's very strange to talk about. But, you know, when we're on, we were on that tour and all this shit was going down with the label, um, most of the time it was just the band and our manager and talking and trying to figure out how we get out of this or what our, wh- how we solve this problem. But the crew could definitely tell that something was up. And so we, we, we wanted to make sure that everybody was in on what was going on. Well, I think that's something that, you know, you, you think about now, I guess, is that it's not just the band. Like if a band has a kind of downturn in their career, there's like, we are job creators. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I obviously don't want to overstate it. Like, you know, our crew would be fine without us. In fact, they might even be better off. Uh, but, you know, we, we, there's, we are hire five, six, seven people on every tour. And there's a whole kind of group of people that end up working on these things. So if the radio campaign doesn't go well for us, it, it, you know, it, it has a ripple effect and then it makes it more difficult for us to keep our crew on board which we really want to do because like do you remember that day Colton yeah I do uh (laughs) you know like Asheville we were in Asheville I think yeah we were I was I was really busy that day actually because we just got a a new shipment of a bunch of merch that we had run out of so I was counting and I was (laughs) in school so I was doing my homework too (laughs) (laughs) and you guys kept messaging me like hey Come on, we're having a, a group meeting. Hey, we're having a group meeting. Ten minutes. No, hold on, another ten minutes or something like that. And I, it's like, do I really have to be involved in this? <laughs> and then it turns out it was actually very important to hear. Yeah, and I mean, the truth is, you probably didn't have to be involved. We're you know a little bit more um, communicative, I guess, with our crew than many other crews might be. But um, you do feel a little bit of a responsibility. Uh, like Johnny said, not if we weren't touring, most of the crew would go and find other work. But nevertheless, it's it's a really shitty feeling to have the expectation of touring for months or years on end, and then have to say, you know what, we we won't be able to do this tour. You know, we're not going to be able to give you work for the next uh, three months. So that's it was a heavy feeling. I remember. Well, yeah, I mean, luckily or unluckily, in that situation, we had booked. We had another four or five months of touring already yeah. planned when that kind of bombshell was dropped, and obviously made possible by our crew helping us out and getting through all those tough times. So shout out to them. And, uh, except Garen. Except Garen. <laughs> except Garen. Have we talked about the that brown before? Nuzzer. No, we have not. Oh, you mean about the, the nicknames? Nicknames, or? yeah. yeah. We've had usually merch guys that quit yeah. because <laughs> merch is usually the worst job and they all get a, a moniker based on their name. So the first one to quit was Derek, who's like one of our oldest friends and still is one of our Yeah, he got friends. the best one. Yeah, he's, he's now dead to us, Derek, because, <laughs> because he's dead to us. Yeah, it's, it's, usually, uh, it's usually people that either quit because they have, you know, they have other life ambitions or they, uh, they realize that tour life is not for them. Uh, but we always give a fun nickname to them. And, or we very rarely, 
if ever fired someone, like officially fired someone, maybe, I don't know. So we'd... With, in the case of merch, which Colton, um, you know, we're all very surprised and proud that you are still with us because, uh, you know, it is, it's, I think it's the fact that people think, oh, I'm going to do merch for a band. I'm going to go on tour and I'm going to spend all night sitting there and girls are going to come up and talk to me. They have to talk to me if they want to buy merch. So it's like, you know, that's how people picture it. And then they get on tour and you realize how much, how much work it is. It's, you know, it's a shit ton of work. And I think there's even a scene, I can't remember if it was in that episode was it where Colton talks about you know trying to meet a girl and you get her number at the merch booth and then uh you know you're working till 1 a.m or whatever and then we leave it too right. so it's like yeah yeah there's no time for <laughs> for fun unless it's an hour not a lot happened <laughs> <laughs> that's a famous let's just put it this line. way uh your pickup lines and your uh game gets much much better and quicker yeah. T- time is of the essence. Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's true. Well, the reason we brought this up is because, and Garen is because, unfortunately, Garen is neither quitting nor fired. Um, but he's our monitor engineer. He won't be joining us on this next tour um, because he has a prior obligation, another tour obligation, basically. Uh, so hopefully he'll join up with us later in but the year. But what was it? So we still gave him a name. Oh, yeah, we still gave him a name. It's uh, Graveyard Garen. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, we we probably won't follow through with it, but we were really considering doing the backstage passes with just like a, a his face X. on it. Yeah, his face on the sign with an X on it, like no one but Karen. <laughs> Hopefully, he's listening to this Anyone and crying. Um, all right. Well, so yeah, now, that, yeah. Make sure you tune into next week's episode. It starts to get, in my opinion, the show gets better from here on out. Um, you know, these first three episodes are somewhat establishing everyone, establishing the the family, the crew and uh the trajectory but in my opinion it gets better and better so next next week is europe part one yeah we go to poland and it's this this is one of my favorite episodes this is in fact the first the one that comes up uh, later this week episode four is the first episode that we cut i think what happened was we, we don't give anything away but we started in poland just looking through the footage and thought oh there's a real show here and that's it kind of started us uh on this path and making it feel more like a TV show as opposed to just these recap videos. So pretty excited for everyone to see episode four. Yeah, that was the first time we realized, oh, we might actually have a show here. Yeah. Before that, we thought we were really, really worried we'd have 100 terabytes of footage and nothing <laughs> nothing to edit, and we started editing that. And I think what's surprising, it's two, basically two cities. You know, like we blew through the American tour in two episodes, essentially. Yeah. Um, but this episode, which is a little bit shorter, is just Poland. Yeah, it's uh, Warsaw and Poznan. Yeah, um, the Czech Republic. And in fact, for this, the music only section this week, we're going to play a little snippet of one of the songs that we're using, instrumental section from, from this episode. And I think there were we got some feedback when we played this episode to people that this song was way too weird and dark for the scene, and we stuck to our guns on it and just said yes exactly <laughs> that, is the, that is what we're going for dark and weird well we specifically got it from Logan who was helping to edit it because Logan was there shooting and right. he doesn't he was there in reality and he was not in our mind state of dealing with our label bullshit so right. he was he was like oh I'm in Poland this is fun we're gonna drink vodka this is cool I like this show everything's great so he didn't he thought that the atmosphere we were trying to create had no alignment with the way he felt about that actual day whereas we were in different it just shows you that you're the day the way a day is is in your head it's not in the world you know? yeah and when he was shooting it's even evidence on the tape like he's laughing 
a lot of right, it. You yeah. know, we had to cut out him laughing because we were having actually a really good time that night. But in retrospect, uh, it was a bit of this hazy, weird feeling that uh, that night in Poland. And this music we thought just gave it this very eerie feel. Do you want to say what the what the working title of the song was? The working title of this song was called "Bloody Cool," which I don't think anyone <laughs> will get, but it's a South Africanism, like. Or it's accent. basically it's just he's bloody cool. Like it's bloody, but cool. the way the South Africans say is bloody, and so it's almost like the way you spell it is B L E R R I E, because that's the accent sounds like that, but really they're saying bloody. So bloody cool. It's bloody. I mean, it's a bloody cool it song. Made, but yeah, I mean, we switched to, to call it interference because it made more sense because what it actually is is um, it's not a joke name. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, using that we've talked about on the podcast before that. Uh, composer and composition teacher Joseph Schillinger has this idea of rhythmic interference and in this song I actually employed some of that methodology to create the rhythms for the melody lines that uh, interact with each other. I believe it's a five against four interference pattern and that you hear on each of the various melody lines that play against one another. So needless to say, we won't be going to pop radio with this song, <laughs> but it is a very, it's one of our more, I think, dark, weird, interesting songs that we really very are mental, excited yeah. to showcase on the next uh, releases. Well, I think it's a perfect name and obviously a, a good name for um, for the, the method, rhythmic interference and, and this song, because it, you feel interfered with, like your emotions or your your state feels interfered with. You can never settle. It always feels unsettling. And it's not like sad, it's not happy, it's not um, angry or frustrated or any of those emotions. It's unsettling. Right, yeah. And it's it's hard to latch onto because it's a long repeating pattern. And it's in 5-4, it's but obviously there's the interference across that. So here, let's play a little snippet of that and we'll pick up on the other side. So we're back, and uh, we're going to go straight into some questions from our Patreon users. Um, Patreon is basically a way of supporting content creators, and we've signed up for an account. Um, for $2 a month, you can get ad-free podcasts from us, as well as some exclusive content, some photos from the studio, some 
old nostalgic photos, as well as being able to submit questions for the podcast that we'll be answering uh, probably once a month or maybe whenever we feel feel like it. I'm not sure. But today is the day. Uh, so if you haven't signed up for Patreon um, and you can afford the $2, it helps support Colton's cracker addiction. Um, <laughs> not, not crack. Not crack cracker. addiction. Cracker addiction. <laughs> and uh, some of the running costs, you know, microphones and cables and all the rest that goes into making the podcast. It's also um, the only way blue gets fed. So if you don't support our Patreon, a dog will die. <laughs> All my crackers go to blue. And now, not only now, he wants cheese on his crackers. So we might have to raise the Patreon price. <laughs> Pretty soon, I'm going to start working for peanuts. The <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So yeah, Colton, go ahead uh, and ask us the questions that you have selected for us. Okay. Question one. Hey guys, my question is how you've chosen instruments you play now. Has your father influenced your choices? Especially, I would like to hear Joe's story. It's so strange and cool to hear accordion while listening to alternative rock. How has he come to that? So the first thing to say is that I am Joey. Johnny is Joey, if mm. you hear that. That's a long story. That's, I think we've talked about it in a previous episode. Go find that story. Not that long. Our dad's name is John and your middle name is Joseph. So in the house, you were called Joey to avoid confusion. And then you changed it to Johnny for professional. And we still call you Joey. I don't think I knew your name was John until I was seven or eight, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So so Johnny Joe. Um, well, I guess accordion. where do we start? How did we choose our instruments in general? I mean, our our dad and mom had us all learn piano. It was required learning, required thing that we had to learn. And it was just what we all started with, very young, two, three years old. You know I mean? Like, like where is middle C, finding middle C? Um, and we all kept that up. And there's no real clever story. I think you guys just kind of drifted off to guitar and bass and drums uh, as, as you felt I like. I was just obsessed with drums and rhythm from, from the get-go. I mean... Even when I played <clears throat> played piano, I always gravitated to the sort of rhythmic parts of piano, you know, boogie woogie. Kept hitting it with uh, sticks. So yeah. <laughs> said maybe it's the wrong instrument for him. And uh, we just having access to all kinds of instruments in the studio, and, and our dad just had all kinds of strange instruments lying around, but drums were just calling to me. Yeah, I didn't like piano really. I hated practicing, and they also just kind of gave up by the time we, because we'd moved to... They'd moved to three different countries. I was child four. And by the time I was like 11 or 12, the idea of getting another kid to play the piano, I think, was a little daunting. <laughs> but uh, I did, around the same time, uh, I would start playing electric guitar. Even though we always had acoustic guitars lying around, and I kind of liked them in mandolin. In the States, I finally picked up an electric guitar when I was 13 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I that, that was immediate, like, you know. This, this is cool. A lot of people might not know our voices either. That was Danny. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is Dylan. Yeah, we all started the piano um, for that foundation, and then uh, we started, Danny and I started playing guitar, and acoustic guitar, and kind of singing songs with our dad, learning how to sing harmony on like Everly Brothers songs and Beatles songs. And uh, I was kind of forced into playing the bass. We <laughs> um, <clears throat> were like, hey, Sting plays bass. Paul yeah. Carney plays bass, you know? Um, <laughs> My dad bought a six-string, like, John Patitucci bass. And so that was what I learned on. I think maybe it was like, oh, this guitar has six-string. Here's a bass with six strings. It'll be the same thing. And the um, is when you hear John Patitucci, you think, wow. That's yeah, amazing. that's a real it's like a lead instrument. Up and you yeah. go, oh, fuck, this is hard. Yeah, I really hated it at first because, like, your ego gets involved and you're like, well, I'm the fucking guy just sitting here playing boom, 
boom, boom, boom. Because you know, a bass when before, especially a six string bass, it's hard to play and learn how to do anything close to what Patitucci does. Uh, eventually, we have to explain to me. You don't just say boom, boom into the mic. You have to play with your <laughs> fingers. Um, so yeah, I just I started getting a little bit better at it. I think I started enjoying it a lot when I when we started playing those Lost Leaf gigs and we could sit and groove for a while. I started realizing I like I like grooves. The way I remember it is we Dylan and I were playing guitar and the computer uh, was playing bass because the we had a one guy in the f- first iteration of Congas there was a guy called Rob Fix who played bass and then he moved to San Francisco so we replaced him with the computer playing bass lines. And then we had we were like this is limiting, you know, we can't uh, we, we feel just encumbered by this. We wanted to do longer, freer sets. And we said somebody's got to play bass, and there was a kind of a, uh, a not stalemate, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was a stalemate, and everybody was not. It was it was kind of avoiding it. And then when we finally rehearsed with Dylan playing bass, we said, "Oh shit, let's just do this because it sounds better." This is what a I band think it was encouraging, like. even to Dylan, because it did sound a lot better than. We had to promise him that Paul McCartney was the richest Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> um, In those early days, I was. On like the first album, I was doing the majority of the singing. So it was also like, hey, you get to sing the songs, you go fucking play bass. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And you, I mean, you obviously play guitar, still a lot, a lot of guitar playing on the albums, particularly on your songs is yours. And there was that funny time where we used to bring the slide guitar, which was basically just a normal guitar. It was on a keyboard stand or a yeah thing up there, and you would be switching from bass to slide guitar. It was... Kind of like we a had a con- steel, like a, yeah, we had a confusing setup. Yeah, geez, Dad Jerry rigged a um, like forty nine dollar. Um, what are the Ibanez? Yeah, the Ibanez. Or was it an Ibanez? <laughs> the Fender knockoffs, the Ibanez um, guitar to make it like a lap steel, and it was like bungee corded to a, a an X stand. That's but that's the guitar on Come With Me now, right? Uh, no. What no, was that? That, that was the actual lap laps. I mean pedal steel. That's the oh, guitar no, sorry, on, on the first um, album. On the yeah, first album, me. all the sli- like those slide solos. Yeah. Um, the accordion, though, um, oh, yeah. if I remember correctly, we were making a record. We were um, recording the song called "The Way," and this was before our first album. It was just an EP. We had four or five songs that we were trying to finish, and "The Way" is a song that I wrote. It has sort of a very up tempo feel the the harmonies a little bit middle eastern sounding and uh we had this section in the song that was supposed to be instrumental it was supposed to be a solo and i think i think you had tried to do a keyboard solo first we tried oh, every kind of yeah we tried every instrument to get this solo section and nothing sounded cool it just sounded kind of dorky and we literally had an accordion lying around the house that no one had ever played i think our dad bought it or no no what happened was Put it this way we tried a clarinet solo <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that usually gets people kicked out of the band for suggesting something like that. No, do you know what we had? Can a- you imagine Johnny on stage with a clarinet? <laughs> Congos, <laughs> come with me now. <laughs> we had a Honer accordion, like a baby one, you know, with ten keys or something. And Dad, we were sitting around with Dad playing like old folk songs or like Everly Brothers songs, like we were talking about. And I, I was kind of playing along with the band, and it just wasn't working. You know, it's such a tiny little accordion, you can barely play it. And he said, I'm going to buy you an accordion. 
So we went to, it was Milano Music in Mesa, Arizona, and we found an accordion. Which one was it then? It was the first big accordion we ever bought. It was the Sonola. It's an Italian oh, 1960s accordion. We paid like $1,500, which is a lot for a secondhand accordion, but also not a lot for what you can generally pay for an accordion. And it's an absolutely an amazing accordion. It's m- most of what you hear on at least the first three albums is that accordion. And so then, yeah, then... I got it, and I didn't really do much with it because when you first pick it up, it's very difficult and uh, hurts your back, <laughs> confusing, and it's heavy. And trying to get you, you, the idea of the moving the bellows and breathing while you're playing is actually a little confusing at first. So yeah, kind of just sat around. Eventually, started to pick it up more, and then the first use in the band was what you were saying is yeah, it was like almost you like tripped over and said, "All right, let's try this." <laughs> and then then he did this amazing solo on the way. And that kind of sold us on the instrument. We started using it on a bunch more songs. And, uh, you know, when, when he would first kind of pick it up at gigs, you know, we usually didn't start the gig with a song that had accordion. You'd usually pick it up a few songs in. And it just turned heads, like even before he started playing it. And then they would hear it. And, you know, nobody's expecting that sound to come up from a rock band uh, from that instrument. So At first it wasn't. Like it is now. You know, like when Johnny picks up the accordion now, the crowds usually go nuts. And when he starts a solo, it's like, you know, you would never expect it. But Johnny, unfortunately for Danny, Johnny gets bigger roars on the accordion than like most guitarists do. And then. Mostly from ladies. But at first, at first, <laughs> ladies it was roaring. Like, it was more like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is he picking up the accordion? Well, yeah, because usually it's either using like folk band things, or if it is an indie band doing, they're kind of just playing like wah, wah, like but very simple before, boring we, stuff. You know? Like they were ve- the indie band accordion banjo yeah, shit had not started when we first started doing this, so we take responsibility for that and we apologize. <laughs> um, All right, next question. It became yeah. a dress up item. It became like oh, a mustache and an accordion. It that nobody really had an actual interest in the instrument or the way it sounded. It's just like how can I wear a vest and be on stage? You know. You know what <laughs> I've always dreaded is when there's a real accordion player that comes to a gig because like average people that are coming to see a show are always impressed with you know when I play a solo and like other musicians think oh wow he's playing the accordion but like I know secretly inside i'm not really playing the accordion properly yeah and then we played a show in boston remember that uh last year i forget what it was it was that uh bud light or some or stam adams gig and what some of our friends brought this accordion player who's in the guinness book of world records he's done the longest accordion solo he's like a fucking top level award-winning accordion player and he came and talked to me after the show. I was like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> the, the, the gig's up! Like, I'm gonna he be was found ha- out." Wasn't he happy? He the was jig like, is up. Like, oh, yeah, the- <laughs> <laughs> he was, literally. <laughs> wasn't he really happy though? Like, they're just happy that accordion is getting some notice. Yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, they were. You know, I've, I've done a bunch of interviews with accordion magazine and or and radio shows. They're all very happy to see it in mainstream music. But nevertheless, they always ask, like, "So, what about your left hand? I notice you don't use that much." <laughs> it's like, hey, yeah, I don't know how to. Honer is happy. I mean, they've been supporting you because until now or until recently, it's like, you know, how do you sell accordions? You know, it's like that Pepsi Coke commercial. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. have we talked about that before? There's a literally a Pepsi ad. Was it a Pepsi ad or a Coke ad? Yeah. Where the guy, like, on the one side of the street is the guy drinking a Pepsi, and he goes to the music shop, and he he buys a guitar. And then on the other side, the the 
guy's drinking another drink, you know, Pepsi, or, and no, he, he gets drinking quarters. It's a little kid, like, playing Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. The guy picks up the... Uh, Coke goes over to and like sees an accordion and starts playing what uh, what's the famous the don on on all you know like on the accordion they're like imagine if he had drunk Coke this would have happened picks up the Pepsi and then goes over and picks up a guitar and like goes on to become the famous Jimi Hendrix. Cementing anyway, the idea. it's a bunch of bullshit and they've been picking on accordion players for you know, way just, too long. They have accordion jokes have become like Nickelback jokes. They're just not original anymore because Oscar Wilde. He said in 80 years ago, he said a, a, a gentleman's somebody who knows how to play the accordion but chooses not to. <laughs> and it's like, it's been, it's over now. He made the funniest joke, you know, unless you can say something truly funny. There's not many he accordion made a jokes. J- Nickelback jokes. You know too. what I just thought of? We, and don't hold us to this, but we have, I saw it last time I was in Phoenix. We have one of those little tiny promo accordions. I think we might have two of them. If we have two of them and we have an extra spare one, we should, um, Patreon users can raffle like, it ra- we'll raffle it off or whatever. You, not raffle it off. I mean, you, if you're a Patreon user, you'll be entered into a chance to win this tiny little, it's like five keys, but it's a Congress promo accordion that the that we were sending around to the radio stations or something like that. It's pretty cool. Um, anyway. <sighs> Next question, question two. All right. What had motivated and inspired the early Congos? How did it feel to develop into the band to keep yourself persisting in the goal to make your mark on the world between the earliest works to before your radio breakthrough around 2012? That sounds like... Is that it from a real Patreon user or did did you like hire somebody to write it? <laughs> well, we should it's probably real. say from which user they're from. I don't think he has it. Well, next week, yeah, we'll, next you know, week we'll say... Real, just so it doesn't look like we're, giving, we're throwing softballs at us. Um... <laughs> What? Okay, so read it one more time. No, what did motivate inspired? Oh, so what motivated inspired us to you know kind of develop the band in the early years and keep going? Um, it was basically just not wanting to contemplate getting a real job or choosing a real career path. I mean, Johnny and I were um, at ASU studying jazz, and we were in all kinds of experimental jazz bands and doing gigs quite regularly. You know, once or twice a month going and playing in bars around Phoenix. And Dylan and Danny were still, everyone Everyone played music, but we hadn't done any gigs. And we started to think, well, is there any way that we can make music somewhat commercially viable? You know, Four Brothers, it's, it's kind of an obvious thing, you know, to keep a band together. We realized how hard that was with, with other guys from ASU. We couldn't keep any members consistently. It was always changing. And so we thought, oh, well, let's just try this. Let's write some songs. You know, everyone was resistant at different times because we were all at different stages of our life. But at a certain point, it started to feel like, well, if anybody has a shot at music, I think we would have just we would have kept on playing music for the fun of it, you know. But it was the decision of like, well, what now? You know, we I think when we played those first couple gigs just for fun, your ego gets a real big boost of like people praising you for some talent that you've you know, been given or that you've acquired over the years. And then you kind of want to chase that a little bit. And yeah, it's, uh, I think you don't, you don't don't really have to explain why would you want to be in a rock band? You know, a lot of people want to be in a rock band. It's kind of obvious, but, but actually doing it and putting the work in, you know, that's, it's quite a plunge. It's, I mean, it's, it's such a good job when it's good that you 
put up with all the downsides of it because it's the dream job to have you know you kind of like this bus bus call has been kind of showing this you know that there is obviously not the not fun side of being in a band but at the end of the day not we none of us would consider doing anything else yeah. at this point and I also mean, the aspect of making original music because you know we would occasionally do the or Johnny and Jesse a lot more than Danny and I because we were so much younger but you know we'd do those wine tasting gigs or the uh, corporate gigs where you got to play covers and Johnny was doing web design and Jesse was doing video work, you know, like making bar mitzvah videos for kids and stuff. And it's like, you remember just, that one time we did the, we did a trifecta. Yeah. We did, we played the background jazz music, the four of us. Danny yeah, yeah. did photos. At a bar mitzvahs. Uh, we shot a bar mitzvah video yeah. for some friends of ours, like the, their kid was having his bar mitzvah. And so we were like the one-stop shop for that uh, little party. And yeah, we, and, you, and you start to picture that as you know, as doing that as opposed to just trying to write some songs and play your own music um, the way you want to do it. And it's kind of an obvious choice. Was there more to that question? Um, I feel like there was a follow-up. I guess no. just how do you keep persisting? Uh, At a certain point, it becomes you go past the point of no return. Yeah. You know, uh, 10 years into the band, I mean, literally none of us has, we have other skills, but it's, you know, just try and start in a new path at that point would be ridiculous. It's so. also, you know, it's like gambling or investing or something, you know, where you get to a certain point where you've put so much into it, even if all the signs are pointing to this is not viable, this is not working, you have this sense of, but I've just put $100,000 on the poker table. It has to come back eventually. <laughs> well, also, and we, there was a moment, I feel like, of luck. Like we had a stroke of luck or grace or something because um, yeah. when we were changing the name, we were having serious discussions about changing the name of the band. We thought, what the fuck is wrong with us? Like, what's wrong with the music? Why is nothing connecting, even though it was a lot of the same songs? You talk about Lost Week? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we even called like very close friends and people in the business that we, you know, respected their opinion of and thought, Hey, we sent them the names. Like, what do you guys think of this name? What do you think of this name? What do you think about this, uh, thing to do? And eventually we're like, no, let's just stick with Congo. So let's come up with something. It was just us. Everyone said, it's not your name. Your name is fine. It's cool. Like, you know, we thought like, do people think we're a drum circle? Does it sound like some (laughs) cheesy fucking... And then jungle, you know, like yeah, hippie thing. We were at kind of like it was not to be too dramatic, but it was a little bit of like despair. Like this, okay, this we have we're giving this another year or two max. Um, if nothing starts happening in the next two years, uh, we've got to you know find other careers. And then I'm only joking. Hit in South Africa, kind of randomly, and that was that was all the kind of spark that we needed to keep going. And he, I mean, also it, right before that, even was. Uh, Beef uh, Vegan, the radio DJ in Phoenix, where we sent it. And one of these days, in fact, we use a little clip of it in one of the episodes, I think is in the first episode. But one of these days, I want to play that whole thing where we sent it to him. And he well, kind of flips out and he's like... He emailed us. He says, uh, I love these songs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play. I'm only joking. So we tuned in and listened on the radio and we even recorded it. And that's how we, we used that recording in, in Bus Call. And I was sitting there, like hearing this guy gush over your songs you know and then and then seeing responses on social media and our ticket sales started to go up in phoenix that was like okay you know this is a microcosm of how it could work 
and almost at the same time, then that guy, um, the D, the uh, program director at Five FM, is a guy called Sotiri. We did the same thing, sent him some songs, and he played "I'm Only Joking" on radio there, and that was just over fucking overnight. You know, we hadn't been back to South Africa in 15 years, and all of a sudden, our music was played on the radio there, and we just had fans pouring in. Well, this is kind of a good transition from this question, what we're talking about here, to our Remember When section, because we're going to talk a little bit about our first kind of full-on tour that we did, and that was in uh, 2012. And what we're going to do for all the Patreon subscribers is throw up a gallery of about 25 pictures that I was just going through on my phone that we took on this tour. And this was the four of us, Mo Gordon, who some of you know is our stage manager and one of our best friends, and our dad was out doing sound with us. So the six of us in a Sprinter van. So we had we done booked, a bunch. Yeah. We had done a bunch of little tours around the country, you know, and we'd also flown to South Africa a bunch to play shows. But this was our first, call it, real U.S. tour. I mean, we went for I think six weeks out uh, in the van, all over little clubs. And we booked this tour ourselves. Basically, just email blasting people. And well, we had we had Brandon and Manny do this one, didn't we? Like they did the second one of these. I think we actually just booked this one ourselves. Either way, it was very, very uh, F uh, what not F Y I D very, very D Y I very D L B R B. Um, the first show was at the Frog and Peach Pub in San Luis Obispo. I thought it was in San Diego. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to throw up a bunch of pictures here, and I'm going to look through them now just to kind of jog our memory as as to how that tour went. Um, just to, let me pull them up here. Yeah, San Luis Obispo. That was, I just remember thinking like, oh, this is how the tour is starting in San Luis in slow or whatever, and just thinking, oh, shit, this is going to be a long four weeks. Just one of those awkward bar gigs that every band has had, you know, hundreds of. Um we kind of made a lot our of way. yelled out requests. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> not for our songs. Right, right. <laughs> yelled out requests for other people's songs. Um a lot of motel sixes. And I'm looking at a picture here now that says it was forty three ninety nine for the oh, price. Yeah. I, it's even gone up since then. Um the pictures of Mo Gordon doing merch. I mean Mo was setting up on stage with us, running over to do merch, running back, he'd have to try and find someone to watch merch for him while he'd come do a song or two with us. And it was just all, um, everything, like everyone was doing everything on that. This is and the tour that we brought the um, sleeping mat as well. Danny, Mo, and I would share the room. Yeah. We were yep. just trying to save as much we money as We were rotating, rotating who gets the bed. <laughs> this is also the tour that our Sprinter broke down. We were driving from Seattle to Missoula, Montana. And that's an epic drive, by the way. It's like our favorite drive i think from tour ever and it broke down uh, like two hours into an eight hour drive up the mountains and it didn't break down as in like stopped it broke down to the point where we could still drive uh like 20 miles an hour i forget exactly what the problem is and the, the only part that we could find was in missoula so there was no option but to go to missoula it ended up taking 14 hours or something and we pulled in to the venue in missoula and the flyer for our gig was there. It says, uh, it's September 19th. The other band on the tour with us on, on that show was called Corporate Defiance. And it was all in metal, like, you know, metal 
pointy font. writing would have metal font and we thought fucking hell <laughs> like we've just gone through a 14 hour epic mountain journey to come they here. were in our metal band though they were pretty cool they, we walk <laughs> in you th- we're thinking oh jesus it's gonna be like you know heavy thrash shit blasting everyone and you know we didn't know what we were walking into. They were playing an Adele cover <laughs> when we walked in. Like, they, meant, they actually meant like corporate <laughs> defiance. So we, we, you know, a couple other gigs we did on that tour. We played in uh, Fargo, uh, and I'm looking at a picture I took here, and we actually played on the Friday, and that Saturday, Doug Stanhope was there doing stand-up because he's one of those weird comedians that doesn't do like comedy clubs. He just go set up in a rock club because he's got a such a crazy following of like psychos that he does these crazy shows. This is also the run where we played to uh, the town of population 187 or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture now. Is it Silver Dollar Saloon or something? It was a fill-in between Fargo and Minneapolis and uh, we got offered some money. I think it was like two or 300 bucks. We're like, holy shit, that's as much as we've been paid for any gig. We've got to take it. Pulled into the city. They had a church and a gas station there. It was not a city. It was literally population yeah. 176 or something like yeah. that. I took a picture of it. Yeah. And it ended up being a really great gig. The whole the whole town and neighboring towns came. The bar, but the first set there was like 20 people, and then our second set, you know, the whole town came and they were drinking and dancing and. And so imagine this, we're driving through fucking freezing middle of the country, the smallest town you could possibly imagine, and sitting at the bar are three South Africans. <laughs> and we ended up chatting to them. They're three um, farmers, basically, that a lot of South Africans, I guess, get get summer work or something, or, you know, tr- uh, seasonal work, where they come out f- and farm because they're experienced farmers, and they work in America, and then they go back home and... So we should. Yeah, it's very weird to bump. You don't expect to meet South Africans in the middle of Minnesota. I mean, I've met people, everyone I meet from Minnesota, ask if they've heard of Elizabeth. No one's ever heard of it. Maybe it was just in our dreams. So then we finished up that tour in New York, parked the van, got on a plane, flew to South Africa, and did uh, Rocking the Daisies and another gig in Durban at a place called Live the Venue. And I came across this picture I took to side by side of a drinks fridge filled with like, I don't know, a hundred beers. And there was one of like 15 fridges and every single fridge at the end of that night was empty. They finished all of the beer, all of the liquor, yeah, the guy, all the water. Like the was owner was left. running, running to a liquor shop during our gig to try and get more drinks because they, they way oversold the show. It was well over capacity, and you know I don't think you would, people would have gotten away with that in America. You know, with all the the um, these sort of regulations and stuff. And I remember they were but, serving drinks in glasses. Yeah, it was like the place had just them. opened. They hadn't got their shit together yet. It was a cool venue, but serving beer and liquor in actual glasses at a rowdy rock club where they drank the place dry it was, was not a good day the there were people i remember because they were dropping glasses people running around <laughs> bleeding like there was this girl after after the gig there was a girl literally her foot just pouring blood because she had stepped on broken glass and you know they, certain south africans are known for taking off their shoes at gigs <laughs> Only South Africans listening will get a real kick out of that. So anyway, did that South African thing. It was like a week and a half or 10 days there. Flew back to New York and did CMJ, which is like a little South by Southwest-ish style festival. And then we did 
a gig that I think has to win the worst flyer of our career award in uh, not Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it was with a little radio station there. And they got our logo wrong, which that's not the biggest problem with the thing. And then we did it with a uh, Playbo it's Playboy's Girls of Golf model. <laughs> so she was like one of the Playboy models in the golf edition. And it, there's a big thing that says, maybe a wet T-shirt with music from Congress. <laughs> and that was a real low point in our career, I felt like. Uh, and then Just gotten off the ground. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we finished up that like three or four gigs uh, in there, and then drove from Phoenix, oh, from New York, all the way back to Phoenix in three days. Well, I'm glad we relived all that because <laughs> seeing those photos uh, does bring back memories. You know, you we've we've done so many shows that you forget each one, but a photo can can jog a little memory or smell or a wet t-shirt contest. <laughs> um, Oh, favorite favorite gear of the week. I wanted to talk about this just briefly. It's going to bore some people, but some people might be interested. So I got these vintage speakers for my house. They're just kind of not very expensive 70s Akai speakers, but they sound really nice, and I got a decent amp. And But, you know, in today's world, you want to play music wirelessly. You don't want to have to plug shit in or leave your phone plugged in to the thing. So I've been wrestling with the problem of trying to get a good quality audio converter that will you know, do wireless. So at the moment, I'm using a laptop uh, with the audio going out of a high-quality um, converter, which basically turns the signal from digital into analog. Uh, and I am bought a little app that lets you use it as an AirPlay device so I can stream from my phone to the computer, out of the computer, into the um, converter, out of the converter, into the amp, into the speakers. And I'm it's like under my couch, all this stuff pieced together with cables and stuff. Um, I know they exist, but I was just wondering if anyone, anyone had any th thoughts, not you guys, because I've talked to you about it, but any, if there are any audio files out there, any thoughts on wireless DACs where you can have a really good quality converter that you can stream to wirelessly? Because it makes a big difference. When you use the headphone jack on your computer, it sounds kind of shitty. And if you use a good quality converter, all of a sudden the, the music opens up. It's like a blanket was taken off your speakers. So, yeah, there is this... Well, you're talking about, and then also certain TVs getting out of them into a decent pair of speakers is like this weird nowhere. Yeah, you can't no control the volume, and you need to split off the signal, the audio signal. It's really annoying. But I know that some people are working on it, but um, it does seem like a gap in the market. So any any audiophile uh, inventors, you know, figure it out. <laughs> Maybe Sure could make something. You know, we talk to Sure about our gear all the time because they they provide us with microphones and stuff and. Maybe they could do some. Anyway, sorry for boring you with that. <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you watch Bus Call. Uh, it's very, very important that you tell your friends about it because it's going to be a word of mouth thing. And this podcast, you know, we, we don't have a huge ad budget or anything. It's not on a streaming network like Netflix where they're putting millions of dollars into promotion. But we believe in the show and we're getting really, really good feedback. So thank you guys. Please tell your friends about it and talk about it in real life, in a bar or on the phone instead of texting or tweeting or do both. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Next week, cool shit going on. Yeah, and lastly, again, um, for those of you just tuning in, <laughs> if you press play on the podcast and skip the first 10 minutes, we are going on tour in 2019. 
Pre-sale tickets are available um, if you're listening to this on a Monday. Tomorrow, Tuesday, the password is headphones. That's H-E-A-D-P-H-O-N-E-S, one word. Um, General on sale is Friday. Can't wait to see you guys. (laughs) 